This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Jesse Hawley of The Satire. Hosted by Dan Terry. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Discuss Metal Podcast. My name is Dan. I will be your host this evening and most evenings when you're listening to this podcast. And uh, with me tonight is Jesse Hawley of The Satire. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I heard uh, I heard your guys' new single. And by heard it, I mean I've listened to it about 47, 48 times. And uh, it really, really, really blew me out of the water, man. Uh, Dude, that, that makes me feel good because we, we need those digital plays. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was not, I'm not, I'm not going to even lie. Like I had Travis, uh, your drummer on a while back. Um, and we talked a little bit about this. He was like, Oh yeah, man, you know, it's, it's more brutal or whatever. And like, I've heard like the songs that were released a long time ago where it was like different, yeah. different everybody. And, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I was kind of like, okay, what, what can I expect from this band? And then a few, you know, a couple weeks later, um, you guys dropped it and uh with a with an actual video which was kind of cool that's all brian <laughs> yeah he's i i've noticed that he's got a little bit of an obsession with zoom yeah he he's trying to market us better and the blamed better so everything is like snippets of studio play well he's doing a good job for sure because uh i'm definitely getting you know just like seeing like the interviews and stuff that that are getting posted and and, and all of that stuff it's been uh it's been cool um but yeah so you know i guess uh well we'll get it we'll get into the satire and the presence and, and all of that stuff um here in a little bit but uh i just wanted to start off just as bare bones as as i possibly can and just ask where you grew up and um and what got you into number one what what made you a fan of music specifically this type of music and um what got you into deciding that you wanted to play music? So for me, it's kind of a convoluted story. Um, I grew up in a Baptist pastor's church home. So my dad was the, the Baptist pastor. And as kids, like there wasn't a ton of exposure outside of like just classic rock. So, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, like oldies, stuff like that. And that was on all the time. But anything outside of that, I wasn't even exposed to like I like Nirvana happened and I didn't even know about it type of thing. So for me, music was a big deal everywhere we went. We had music on in the car and then we would have music like for like moments throughout the day. So my dad would wake us up with wake up songs and stuff like that, like Crocodile Rock by like Elton John was one of those morning routine things. So music was like a big deal, but it wasn't anything that was my own. And that was okay because I, I was really into it, but I also wasn't aware of like individual bands. So over time, you know, things started changing life. My parents actually separated and got divorced. And in that season, it was kind of like a who are you type of person. And for like four or five years, there's this, this season where I didn't really have much investment in like a personal identity. And music was something that started to grow in that season. And I remember in eighth grade, discovering no doubt this one girl did. Uh, like like a report in school about this band and I was like this is pretty good so it, it was funny because it's the first thing I ever latched on to for my own and um, I, at the same time I started to kind of dig into 
some of like the later Beatles albums and things like that. Things that uh, I think are more musically rich as opposed to some of their other materials. So like Magical Mystery Tour and stuff like that were a big deal for me. So I remember sitting in the back of the car with a cassette and just playing that album cover to cover. But um, over time, I, I was one of those loner kids and I wouldn't have a whole lot of friends. And I think it was kind of a result of really not knowing who I was. I didn't fit in with the, like the jocks and I didn't fit in with the, you know, like the straight lace kids. So the kids that were very accepting would be those potheads or the metal kids or the skaters or whatever. And of course I'm going to start to absorb what they're into. And freshman year in high school, I had a friend and he he knew I was in the school band and I played drums and my mom was cool enough to have picked up a drum set for me. And there's kind of a recurring theme in my story of, I want to be able to do things, but I'm not skilled enough to do them, but I'm still going to be like, yeah, I can do this. And with him early on, I was like, yeah, I play drums and he, he played guitar and he sang and he's, he's like, well, you should play drums for me. And I was like, what do you, what music do you listen to? He's like, I listen to Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> so he, he gave me a mixtape and it had on the A side, it had Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, had Paranoid and it had Nativity in Black. Oh my goodness. Be- yeah. I mean, it's like musical Trinity right there. Yeah. But, it's like um, a startup kit. Yeah. Seriously. I think anybody who went to Hot Topic in eighth grade got that for free, but right. <laughs> um, they had that. And then it also had um, Metallica, Ride the Lightning and Metallica fade to black. And I think it had a song by the cream on there too. But, um, those songs, I would say legitimately changed the direction of my life over time. He, he's like, well, I want you to play drums for me. And I was like, well, I still got to learn material or whatever. And he, he finally called my bluff one day and he just came over and I went as far as to sit behind my drum set and I was like, yeah, I, I'm not very good at playing the drums. <laughs> so yeah. It was kind of like this soft whimper of failure, but um, it, it didn't it didn't work. But he kind of hooked me into music. So I, I've always had this love for classic rock and like oldies. But then like freshman year, this just exploded. And at the same time, like, I was listening to your, some of your podcast episodes and it sounds like you were a big new metal kid. I was, yeah. Kind of ashamed, but kind of not ashamed. I was huge in the new metal. And I remember watching the video for Freak on a Leash, and I was like, this is incredible. And then shortly after I discovered Tool, you know, you discover all those big bands. And there's still there's still bands in that that genre that I absolutely love. Like Seven Dust to me is an amazing band. Oh yeah, totally. But, in that season, like I started kind of becoming my own person, you know, like uh, rubber stamping my own identity type of thing. And it was totally wrapped around music. But it was this like pseudo mall goth thing. And it, it was mine. And I, but it wasn't like the most authentic thing. Like you go to Hot Topic and you get your kickwear pants and your Jenko jeans and all that, all that stuff that you're like, yeah, I did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, that that was mine. That was me. And this new like person kind of born out of all that was there now. So that, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of really my birth into like harder music. And I started going to shows. Like I would start traveling out of state to go to good shows. And, um, I remember 
around, I don't know, let's see, I graduated in high school in 02. So right at the end of 02, I had friends in our church youth group who were really big into punk. And I was always like, dude, punk's stupid. Why do you like that? You know, like, they don't have dreads, you know? But um, I just, it wasn't my thing, but they were good friends and started telling me about this thing called Cornerstone. And I was like, what's that? You know, and it was funny because right before Cornerstone, my friend's band had gone on like a Midwest tour and um, they were going to do a breakup show and the Blamed and Head Noises played that show. And so I went to that. That was my first exposure to punk and that's my first exposure to like Christian music like in the like this underground scene. So before that, you know, when you were saying that you're, you know, your friends are into punk and punk is stupid. What was your perception of punk uh, to that point? Were you just thinking about like the pop punk bands like Green Day or? No, I mean, I had friends who were into like UK subs and all like all the authentic punk, but I just, I didn't get it. I'm like, why do you wear tight jeans? And like, what what's with your hair, dude? That looks stupid. But I'm like, whatever. I mean, I look like a complete idiot if you look at pictures from O2 when I'm trying to be goth, you know? Yeah. But it, I'm, uh, I'll send I you a picture of me from that same year. Uh, whenever we're done doing this, <laughs> I think you'll get, you, you I, I think I, we're on the same page on that. Yeah. It, it's just bad. Like, like the, there's certain things we'd try not to talk. About. <laughs> so I, why not spill it on your podcast? But yeah, why not? That's um, fine. I, I, uh, I just, it wasn't my thing. And I, I have this in frame of mind and it followed me well into heart hardcore like through through the different iterations of hardcore where i'm like this is what i like so this is the best you know and that's kind of what was going on there with punk but shortly after going to that show he's like hey do you want to go to cornerstone so i went to cornerstone and i would i didn't know even what to engage in because he was very much into punk so like i think the first show we went to is combat junkies and then um from there like he's like, I don't know what you're gonna want to watch, and I'm like, well, I don't know any of these bands. And um, main stage that year was POD and Project Eighty Six. Oh, I nice. Saw both of them, and that that was good. But I mean, it's main stage, you know. So uh, it's cool and all, but there's like two thousand people there, and you can barely walk. But that same that same night, um, Zayo and Blackface played back back to back, and. That's when I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like, Live Sacrifice was on first and it was just intense and insane. And then Zayo came on and I'm like, this is scary. Like, what is this? <laughs> and it, it was super intimidating. Brian Clark came out and sang and on my hand. And I'm like, this guy looks like a biker. I think he's in the somebody. But that's kind of my journey through music. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And I, I, I had a very similar, uh, similar journey myself coming from the new metal stuff, which actually in 2020, it's cool to like new metal again. Um, so, you know, we've at least got that I, I going for it. us. I'm like, like it's just cultural de-evolution. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I yeah. like some new metal. Like I, I like new metal. It's nostalgic. It's like cotton candy. Like you can have it once in a while and it, it's not bad, but if, there's, I couldn't listen to it every day, but then I see these bands that are like totally ripping off new metal and they're just putting hardcore vocals over I'm like, yeah, that's not good, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, some of them I like, but I've, I've, uh, yeah, I haven't dug too deep into it. I know there's this band called issues, which I, 
has like new metal music, but their vocals sound like something that you hear from a boy band. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of yeah, really, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like it's, I mean, when, whenever it was described to me, I was like, I guess I have to check it out. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I checked it out and I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can, th- I can definitely not find a place in my heart for this. Uh, so I'm going to just <laughs> move past it. I was reading somewhere that most people stop listening to new music, like in their mid thirties. And I was like, well, I'm not done to discovering new music. I'm definitely going backwards and like picking up all those hardcore bands from like the late nineties, early two thousands that I missed. But I don't want to listen to new music. Like I just discovered knock loose and, you know, see space cowboy and stuff like that. So I'm trying to not be that, but it's that, stubborn this is what's good and i'm not going to listen to anything else and i get stuck in sometimes yeah no i definitely can relate to that in a big way so besides the uh hey uh i I can't actually play play the drums very well uh debacle um what uh what got you interested in actually wanting to be in a band i would sit on the couch and watch mtv and vh1 for hours and i just there's an awe to watching some of these bands live. I remember the Metallica behind the, the music documentary they would do, and they play Fade to Black, and it just gave me chills. But um, I have no physical musical ability. Like, I can turn the radio on and turn the knob. It's pretty pretty awesome. Right. But, you know, like, I, I can't pick up a guitar. I have horrible internal rhythm. So, those are kind of out of the question. But um, my the same group from that youth group they their band broke up and after that cornerstone they kind of reformed with different members and um one of the dudes who ended up in color morale was in the band and he's kind of a like a local friend and um was in the band but he was always jumping to other bands and he was only in that band for a short period of time and there was this open and like hey i could sing for you guys <laughs> And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I totally could. And, and it was that idea of, I just really want to do it, so I'm going to can do it. And they're like, well, we'll do it. I was like, well, I need time to practice, you know. So they let it ride for like a week or two. And the one guy ended up telling me, hey, we want to hear next like Thursday or whatever. So I remember not even having attempted to sing for like a good chunk of those two three weeks. It was like it's going to happen or whatever. And, um, as we got closer to that day, I was like, well, I should start screwing around with it. And this like sound kind of like crappy dead to fall started to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe they'll take it. <laughs> so I, I remember going to their house and we were in their garage and I like built it out two lines and I'm like, okay. So my, my guitarist, who was my closest friend at the time, He's like, yeah, we totally took you with the intention of having you as a placeholder and somebody better, but you got better. So that worked. So I was like, well, uh, thank you. So cool. (laughs) But it's just kind of like that fake it till you make it thing. And it worked out. So absolutely. That's that's awesome, though, that you were able to produce something. Uh, I remember the first time I tried screaming in my old, 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 old van, uh, Jelly Donut. And we had started off as kind of like a trying to do mostly clean vocals it was new metal you know um and then i heard like norma jean and zeo and that stuff and i was like oh i want to try to do that or whatever but man it took me like a couple of months 
to even be able to produce a sound that was even close to that. So hats off to you for being able to actually pull something out, cool. you know, for, for a tryout or sure something. I, like brought it into the mic or something and it came out good. <laughs> well, you know, early on, the but, best like, thing you can it, do it, is cup the mic, you know? Yeah. 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 I, um, it, it's, it's bad because like I, my whole reference was new metal and I had just seen living sacrifice and Zion and embodiment. So I was kind of like, there's this other thing. And like shortly after cornerstone, I'd picked up under oath change in the times and Norma Jean bless the martyr. So I had like a nice little like value pack of like, this is what's good, but I still had this very metal worldview. So I remember we were trying stuff and the way I would comport myself, like in practice was very much like a new metal singer. And I remember like, I would move. They're like, what are you doing? And I was like, um, this is what people in bands do. And they're like, that's stupid. <laughs> right. It was a sharp learning curve. <laughs> For sure. New metal was on the decline then. Um, so, you know, when you, you described seeing Zao for the first time as being, you know, somewhat scary, was it like kind of like, was that kind of sort of shocking? It was shocking for me the first time I heard Dan sing. Um, and just realizing that there was like this whole other tier of heaviness uh, that bands could produce. Cause like, but at that point, like that, my heaviest reference point would have been like slipknot or something. And, and just yep. thinking at yep. the time that it was like literally the most extreme thing that you, anybody could do vocally. Um, what, you know, what, what effect did that have on you as far as like, was it a, for a lot of people, they say the first time they heard dancing, it was revulsion, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, did you did did it scare you or was it like kind of a morbid curiosity after that so their live show was intimidating their live show was like dan's huddled in front of the drums partially on a knee and he's screaming this wall into the mic and russ is doing what russ he had to have knee surgery 20 times and it's just this like it's a dark tent and there's a lot of people pushing on you and there's this wall of sound and it's brooding. It's it's intimidating. But the, when I bought their CD, I actually didn't. I bought self-titled at that like same window of time, and I was like, this isn't that good. Like I had bought Hammering Process and I'm like Hammering Process is excellent. The, this other thing, I, I don't know. And self-titled sat in a book for like months and i didn't have a ton of money so you would listen to the same albums constantly and after a couple months you kind of get a little burned out like i need to listen to something else so i remember putting it self-titled and i was like clicked and i was like holy cow this is insane and just it everything about that album is unique like everything from the drums to like just some of the different songs like witch hunter everything in that song is that the album is unique it's heavy it's different even though it's not like i mean they definitely took that stuff from other places but it just made a unique package and it when it clicked it was like light bulb this is special that's it's funny i think you're the first person i've ever talked to whose first zeo album was self-titled um and that's cool i get offended when people say that they hate those drums i i'm like dude those drums are awesome <laughs> even the dudes so, in the band hate I, the drums I, where you stand, so. I know they do but i'm like you're wrong because <laughs> i'm all right <laughs> I'll say this. I, I'm not like a big fan of obviously digitized drums, but I will say this, that, it, you know, it's not like they were trying to hide it or make it weird or anything like, like they weren't trying to make 
some sort of like like fool people into thinking that they were playing real drums. This this record that or that record yeah. wouldn't have sounded the way that it did without those drums, and it wouldn't have created the same sort of atmosphere. I mean, they were they were doing like a Zayo meets Nine Inch Nails kind of thing, and um, mm-hmm. and I think ultimately it's uh, there are places where I feel like in the heavier songs it would be nicer to not have the digitized drum sound, but uh, you like you said you get used to it and it clicks and you're like okay this is all the fact that it was all intentional choice makes it more valid to me than like oh um jesse couldn't play these parts or something so we digitized them all of those drums are yeah. played by jesse on a digitized kit you can tell um so i think yeah. in, in that regard um, i think there's only like i think maybe the song witch hunter might uh, not witch hunter uh, alive is dead i think that one they might actually be programmed or he's just really good at sounding like it it was programmed but um but yeah i don't hate that i don't hate them but i i it's not my favorite Zayo record. I'll just <laughs> I'll just say that. But Dude, you're um, cutting me deep. I might I might have to hang up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it can get it can no, get really I, intense. I, um, I I think I, I would be interested, kind of like do it, what they did with Saint Anger, where they replaced those drums. I'd be interested in hearing them with normal drums. But I I feel in my gut it's too much a part of like the memory stand of what the album is. Where I'd be like, yeah, it doesn't work, even if it's better. Yeah, I, it's I mean, like when you get those those bad recordings from when you and I were in high school, like some of the Seven Angels, Seven Plagues albums. Some of those recordings are really bad, but that became a part of the sound. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I'd have a hard time walking away with it. <laughs> right. Um. So what it, what was that like as far as like becoming a vocalist? Um. And 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 doing that as your primary instrument in the sense that, like, you know, I don't think a lot of people talk about this, but like uh, I was talking to TJ Miller from Still Remains last week, and he was saying that it was always just a struggle to to output at that level at all times, you know. Uh, so did you did you find it, you know, kind of challenging uh, to that point? Because I know I blew my voice out three or four times in the beginning just not really knowing how to project correctly or, you know, um, or, or like play or like sit there and play, like even, even a 30 minute set was like torture. Did you have any struggle like that? I had like an old videotape of one we had practiced early on and I had not watched it for a long time and I popped it in one time and there was things my voice was able to do then that I can't do now. And I'm pretty sure I just, damage it over time because like you said there, there's not a very strong playbook on how to do this right and there's that chick in new york who teaches people how to breathe or anything and i've watched some of her stuff and i just have a hard time applying it but um for me like definitely the the couple years i was in my primary band early on like my voice changed and i think that just be kind of was like when you're just beating it into submission and your body kind of got used to it. But near the end of that first run in that first band I was in, whenever we would sing, I would get like sinus headaches and issues like for days afterwards. So playing longer sets or playing multiple shows in a weekend just beat me up. And um, it it did become a problem. And I actually kind of thought I was done. And I, when I stepped away from that first band I was in, I was kind of stepping away with the intention of, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore, but you have that itch to keep doing it. So 
another opportunity came up and when I dove into it again, it, it was it was bad. Like it took me a while to kind of get to where I needed to be, but it still it still was a problem for me. And I actually quit that band and was done for an extended period of time with the exception of one offs here and there for friends. And when I joined the satire, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it right. So I looked up um, warm up practices and breathing techniques, and it's helped a lot. And singing with Brian's helped a lot because he he helps kind of address delivery, not not in the sense that, that like how to sing, but how to do it in a way that plays to my strengths, and I think that helps too. Sure. Well, and so how did you end up getting uh, in touch with Brian and the satire? It's kind of a, a very weird convoluted story. Um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the satire and it's like long history, but it's been around since like 03, 04. And I mean, there's been like 20 different people in the band. Lance Garvin was in it at one point. Like there's a lot of different people been in this band and the, the more solidified lineup was like in like their like 2005, 2006. And Brian and I had always kind of crossed paths at Cornerstone. We played shows with the satire and stuff like that. Um, and Brian and I were friendly. And uh, Brian's eventual bass player was a good friend of mine. And um, there was a particular lineup of the satire in the early 2000s. And they needed a singer. And Brian was going to reach out to me. And a couple guys in the band overruled him. Because he, they and I were not on good terms. because of women in her life like they want to date my girlfriend you know that type of thing sure <laughs> so there was you know typical band problems absolutely yeah it just it didn't work out but um brian told me years later that he always kind of had me in the back of his mind and we lost connection i got married i went to college I finished my master's all this different stuff and life kind of just took hold and I'm a, I'm a pretty faith-based person and um, I, I have a passion for like working with teenagers because I think life's pretty ugly. And um, I was, there was this national day of prayer thing and I was at our church and I was praying and I was like, Hey God, whatever I got, you can have. And I was like, I, I like, if you want me to burn CDs for these kids, I'll burn them. If you want me to do show promotion, I'll do show promotion. And like, just kind of on a whim, I was, like, hey, if you want me to sing again, I don't even know if I can sing again. Anymore. I will. Literally the next day, my my friend who played bass reached out to me. He's like, hey, do you want to sing? That's her. Like, what? <laughs> like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. And then of course he go he goes, now Jim Chaffin from the Crucifieds in the band and Sid from Head Noises in the band. And I'm like, so it's Brian, Sid, and Jim. Like, hero worship I was like, I don't even think I can sing. But yes, let's go do it, you know? Right. And um, I was, again, the idea of trying to fake it to make it, because I, I just wanted to rub elbows with these guys for a little bit. And um, went, went and did it, and Brian is, like, super gracious. It was just me and him, I, and I was straight with him. I was like, dude, I don't even know if I can sing anymore. It's been, a long, it's been some time since I've done this. And when I did it, it was pretty bad. And um, the first time I went back to do it with him, he was very much like that producer, that coach, father figures, like, you're doing good. Just keep trying, keep trying. And, it, and it, it, shortly into it, it came back. It wasn't powerful. It wasn't strong. 
but like in success successive uh practices i mean you could really start to see it flesh out and we played that audio feed that year and it, i mean it was nice to kind of get back in the rhythm and of course brian does things on does things on a level that i had been able to so that that was just kind of added bonus yeah totally that's awesome i mean it, like it's it's literally every every uh every dude that does what we do as far as like screaming and not really because like i'm the same i don't play an instrument and uh anything like that and so it's it, it's really cool to feel valued in that way because i always felt like man you know uh, <laughs> it, you know there, there there's a million dudes sitting in basements right now that could be a singer you know um yeah but you know to 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 have a friend like Brian Gray and they're kind of like yeah I think you can I think you can do it you know and um I think a lot of that blockage too is I think a lot of it is a mental thing too um more totally. so than a vocal ability cuz like your your voice is going to do what your voice is going to do unless you've had like throat surgery or something since you know <laughs> since the last time you sang um and uh cuz I remember uh you know when we were when I was talking with the uh when I was talking a lot about Furnace Fest before it got rescheduled, um, I was talking to uh, Jason from Few Left Standing, and I was asking, like, you know, how did uh, you know how, how did those practices go after you guys were inactive for so long? And he was like, Yeah, I don't know, man. It was just one of those like, he's like, our singer wasn't sure if he could get the voice back, you know, <laughs> or, or 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 get all that stuff mm-hmm. back. He said, but it was just kind of a mental thing that once everybody was kind of together, uh, you know, again. You, you just get in that headspace and then your body just kind of remembers what to do. You know, I, I think you're spot on. Like I, one, I've always kind of been self-conscious of my voice in the sense that I've never really had good recording. So I, I knew I had a powerful voice live, but on recording, it was never represented well. So that was always kind of like nagging in the back of my mind. Like, am I good enough for this band? And there's been other singers in that band who are excellent. And I'm like, I don't want to be subpar and kind of ride the brine train. I want to do this well. Like I've, I'm a proud person and I tried not to be proud and negative, but I want to, I want to do my best. So like if I, if I perform with him, it should be because I can hang with him. And um, he's been patient over time. Like he would, you know, like I, I think you're, your like vocal arrangement, you could do it better. And like, no, this is the way I see it. And like Brian annoys the crap out of me because <laughs> Brian is an excellent musician, songwriter, producer, and he sees things like, like a thousand feet in the air as opposed to like directly in your face. And I'm like, well, this is what I see. And he's like, no, you're not understanding it. So he'll make like a suggestion and I'm very stubborn and I'll be like, no, I don't agree. And nine times out of 10, he's right. And it takes, me like some time to get there and i'm like ah, you're right but um every now and then i'm right and i'll be like huh what do you mean you were wrong but uh it, it's it's a good working relationship between he and i and it's been super fruitful because we've produced things that i can say like this is true quality done stuff before that i think is really good but this is different and unique and on a different level so i can step back and like I'm proud of that. So whenever he called you, uh, you know, and and you kind of joined up with the band and everything, uh, what what year was that? I feel like that was that was some time ago. 
it was it was 2016, and I'm Brian for everybody. I, I love Brian. Brian, one of the coolest people you'll ever meet. He he. I always talk about like when he goes to a festival, he's the mayor. Like everybody wants to talk to him. Right. And what's cool about Brian is he will make you feel special, and it's not fake. It's just something he's very good at. He's very personable. Um. But that same vein of Brian being that people person sometimes can lead to distractions. And there was there was a lot of different things that were going on. The satire when I joined was initially going to be the primary. And at the same window of time, they're going to do a one-off blame show. And it, it, it blew up for them. They had um, a, a guest vocalist who was really able to kind of market a comeback for them and eventually didn't work out with that guy. And he's, he's a good guy, but it just didn't click. But there was now this grounds well, for the blame moving forward. And at the same time, Jim was playing drums for the satire. He got really excited about doing the blamed again. And it kind of stole the steam out of his sale for satire and that started to lag. So not only is the blame moving forward, but the satire was moving backwards. And um, it, it was difficult. Like Brian, he, he knows like my personality and he, he had a lot of patience for me. And I'd like to think that I had a lot of patience for the situation because it, the satire is a, a ton of me and him and there's uh, everybody else is involved. Like Travis is heavily involved and he helps uh, develop things with drums like that. He's brought a lot to the table. And then Brad and Sid, they bring a lot. But Brian and I are the one who get together like every week, you know. So it, it, it was it was hard, like watching the blame just like shoot off like a rocket. But we we have always done stuff in the blame. He's always asked me to do like guest vocals or background stuff. And it's always been enough to kind of hold me over. And they did um a 20 years again. So they, they have that the blamed again album and he did like a 20 year anniversary of that, that with Luke and Plank and all that. And I did like four or five tracks of lead vocals on that. And it was good. It, like it scratched that itch, you know, but um, finally in the past six, eight months, things have started slowing down for the blamed and they're kind of in a writing cycle and we're in a recording cycle now. Cause we have like a whole catalog of music. It's just, there's a lot going on and both bands are distance bands. So it takes, everything just takes time. So we're now in this phase where we're pumping out stuff. Like I think we've got three and a half songs in the can or close to in the can. And we've got drums for like eight other tracks and we're, we're, we're moving. So it's good. It paid off. I'm glad I didn't quit at different times. And he's been gracious to me and my irritability well, and that, that, that's the whole thing, you know, looking at it from a, just from an outsider perspective, it always seemed like it was a band that wanted to launch, but just never really quite got there. You know, um, there was always something yeah, kind yeah. of, something kind of in the way, something blocking, uh, something. And, and I, I kind of get it too, in the sense that the blamed was already kind of an established a thing and that they were, you know, a, a cornerstone kind of, kind of no pun intended in that scene. Um, and you know, I mean, it totally makes sense in that, like, if I do the blamed again, you know, I'm going to get all of this. Uh, oh, I'm not going to say the word money because I don't feel like that's the right word. Uh, but it's it's just one of those like, we'll put it out. It'll be, you know, as successful as it can be versus trying to launch a band that a lot of people would have considered to be a side project 
band yeah. uh, of the blame. And I know I viewed it that way um, until I talked to Travis and have talked to you a little bit about it. That it's like, no, it's actually like a for real. You know, it's not like it's not like Brian just writes all the music and it's like and all the lyrics and everything is like, OK, uh, now play, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I'd be cool if it was that. But he's like I said, he's he's a very benevolent dictator. Like um, he is the center of both those bands and he could control everything if he wanted but he it's not the game he plays like when i said that he's such a people person like he he likes the blame and he enjoys the blame and um yet he would rather pour a lot more energy into the satire but because he's trying to help out a lot of different people or you know meet meet uh drive and energy and need and other people he he takes on all this stuff so it it at times can slow things down, but it's from a good place. And you, it's hard to argue with that because I'm in a lot of ways, that's how he helps other people, you know? So it's a, it's a cool thing. Well, so you, you just released a song called the presence, which, um, I know you're looking for, um, you know, a lot of, uh, I, I think, I think with that song, it definitely blew me out of the water because I hadn't really, I'd heard kind of, some of the older stuff, which was, you know, a different singer, a different lineup, like all the really, really old stuff. And, um, yeah, I think there's like a three song EP or something out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever you guys drop the presence, you know, um, what, what has been, what has been the reaction from, um, from people as far as you, do you think this was what people were expecting? Cause I, I feel like it's a, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's definitely above and beyond what I was expecting to hear. Well, I, I would just say that's super flattering. So I appreciate that. Um, we, we put out that split with the blamed and it kind of, the, our tracks kind of got lost in the shuffle and a couple different ways. Like just, I think in the general public, they kind of got lost in the shuffle because the blame songs on that album are phenomenal. Like it's, it's really good. And, um, our stuff, we were recording it at the same time as the blamed was. And some of the production suffered a little bit because everybody was under a time crunch. And we're actually going to be recording those two tracks again on, on this uh, full length coming up. But, um, the, we kind of expected a lot more of a subdued reaction from the single. And it's been by our estimations, massive now massive is relative, but like, it's been really, it's been a much more positive response than what he expected. Well, and I can take a, I can take a little bit of a stab as to why. Uh, number one, you know, there is a certain, like, I, I remember sending my, I remember sending my buddy, uh, whose name is also Buddy. Um, I sent him a message and I was like, dude, you need to check out this single by the, sh- by the satire. And, um, and you know, everybody kind of like, I, I do stuff like that all the time. And I think people sometimes think I'm doing that just to help people out or give, you know, like, you know, like if I throw it up on, if I throw it up on the podcast page, people will check it out just because like we recommended it, you know, but I mean, like that's what a good member of the scene does, like we all push each other. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. So like, but I mean, it wasn't one of the, but I mean, I, I I've shared stuff that I would like, didn't a hundred percent believe in before, you know, like. But just just because like they were my friends or or whatever it was, yeah. but um, th- I remember sending my buddy th- my my buddy this message and I was like, dude, this sounds like like this sounds more like old like this sounds like real like 
metalcore, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, 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 and and I'm saying that very carefully because I don't want it to come off sounding like it's a dated sound because it's not. Because I mean, obviously, it sounds very modern, but the uh, mm-hmm. but the but the approach, the actual like, it's not like a metalcore 2004, you know, unearth kill switch engage. I mean, I love all that stuff, but like. I yeah, but I'm talking about like some of the stuff I started listening to, like Converge and Dead Guy, and yep. like that's yep. having having that sort of um where it was literally just a mixture of hardcore punk and and metal riffs, you know, just yeah, and and so I mean it, it blew me away in that in that regard because I hadn't heard anything like it in such a long time, you know, like because yeah. there are a lot of bands that'll start off the way that song starts off, and then immediately you're. Th- 30 seconds in and then it's a, a, a loud singy anthem chorus and then it just turns into a verse chorus verse type of type of affair and this was just very very uncompromising in that regard and it was a breath of fresh air it, it reminded me of the first time i heard like memphis will be laid to waste by norma jean you know like yeah like it just had that sort of immediacy to it well that that's a huge compliment to me because i there's certain songs and certain albums that are time stamped forever in my brain and that album, that song is one of them. So a huge compliment. Yeah. But I, it is something that we're very cognizant of. Like everybody in the band is 30, I think 33 plus. So I'm 36 tomorrow. And um, like, I'm one of the younger guys in the band. We all definitely have, we, we all like modern music. Like I, I love some of the early born of us, stuff. And to me, that's modern, but I know that's not modern. But, um, you know, stuff that's not that late, <clears throat> late 90s, early 2000s hardcore, there's there's stuff in our wheelhouses that we like that's that. But there's definite, like, things ingrained into us that is from those roots. And um, it's funny because we we know the bones of the band is that. And, like, I approach our music from a more, like, dead to fall, like, frame of mind and and Brian, he draws on so many like different inspirations. Like he's a huge Fugazi fan and totally into the refuse. And you see some of that stuff leach into formulaically into our music. Yeah. And like we'll talk, like, hey, like we, we want this to have that strong like presence of that era that we liked. But hey, if the music goes a different place, we're cool with that. You know, we don't we don't want rules in in what we're writing, and by the same like like thought process, we don't want to write to a pattern either. But um, it's been interesting because for me, I come out of like that figure four terror, like um, bleeding through. This is how I'm going to deliver vocals, and those I feel like those vocal deliveries and arrangements are a lot more straightforward. And sitting down and looking at this music has been. It's been like, I joke with him, like, dude, I need to get my protractor and figure out the Pythagorean theorem with this song because <laughs> Brian, he's a lot more technical in his writing. And he definitely draws from those converges, the botches and, you know, coalesce. And I have, I've always been into those bands, but I've never like thought to sing like with their arrangements. So I spent a lot of doing my homework and thinking about what are they doing here and how does that apply to what I do? And I think you and I were talking recently about Bowels of Judas. Yeah. And that band for me has been kind of like, this is the vocal arrangement that I want to pursue when we're doing this. And it helps me kind of just sit down and study what he's doing musically to help 
apply it to what I'm doing because it, it's it's not easy for me. There's there's practices where we're arranging songs and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do, man, because <laughs> his stuff's his stuff's challenging for me. Yeah, it's really like even from my own perspective, it's actually really hard to sing over chaotic music. Um, you wouldn't think so. Like you'd think like like oh, you just jump in and just start going off or whatever. But like, there's a certain ebb and flow. Those songs might sound chaotic the first few times you listen to them, but as it goes on, there there is a certain ebb and flow and 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 changes that you have to keep up with vocally. That um, it which is it's frankly just very challenging. And uh, like I could never I, I could never imagine trying to sing for like Dillinger, you know, or something like that. Like you know, like singing over calculating infinity. Like I don't even know how like else yeah it, it could possibly be done. Um, and so like for that, it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's very uncompromising and it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty stoked to hear the record and I'm, um, Travis dropped a hint, uh, the other day in a text message saying like, dude, wait till you hear the the rest of the stuff. He's like, this is, he's he's like, this is literally just like a tip. He's like, that was the most digestible one. What's, what's fun to me is that when, when we came into that song, I wasn't excited about it at all. Um, I don't like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's, and when I do verse, chorus, I tend to not repeat lyrics and studio producer, Brian's like, just try it and let's see how it works. And, you know, and we, we hammered it out and coming out the back end of the song, like there was decisions we made and I was like, yeah, fine. And you like kind of hear it all come together. And you're like, Oh wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> there's been some of that, but there's some songs that we have on the docket that I'm like, these ones I'm I'm super excited about, and it, like if that was like the low point, then these ones are going to be higher. I'm like I'm excited for other people to hear them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked. Uh, I ordered a shirt, so uh, I will be I will be repping you know uh, here soon. And uh, plus, I just really needed a new shirt. All my shirts are <laughs> have holes in them and stuff, and it's been uh, it's been not great. I've been on a weight I've been on a weight loss regimen for a while, so I'm hoping I can fit into some of those older shirts that I have. <laughs> well, dude, the struggle is real. I, I suffer through it too. So I completely empathize with you. Yeah, I felt uh I felt like I've just been eating nothing but plants for weeks. And uh yeah. and now I'm sick too, so it's one of those like wanting to reach out to those comfort foods. But uh-huh. uh but yeah, luckily luckily, you know, um everything's since luckily since I have a I'm saying luckily that's weird. Uh luckily having a covid test and waiting for that to come back uh, means I really can't go anywhere. So it's yeah. it, it would be really hard for me to make bad decisions uh even they, if I even if I wanted to. They just opened up a Wahlburgers by us. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Hmm. But like the Wahlberg family, they okay. have their own chain of hamburger joints and they just opened up one and the lions have been out the door so I'm pretty sure this weekend my wife and i'm going over there <laughs> so nice. i'll start dieting next week <laughs> there you go yeah that's i've been i've been saying that for about four years so i think I, I thought now was probably the best time to uh to to try it out well and not to shift the conversation too far off track um but you know one thing that you know that you and i kind of connected on fa- it's funny too i feel like we connected on facebook more on video games uh, than music, um, or at least it was like a big part of it. Because I remember I was on the, um, I was on that, I was on the Metal Jesus Rocks uh, group for a while, and I started posting. And then I saw you would post things, or sometimes you'd reply to some of my 
posts and and so and you were the only person that I was friends with on Facebook that was like part of one scene. And so I remember thinking like thinking it odd, like, oh, we actually have like another retro gamer here. Um, you know, because <laughs> like I'm so used to like, you know, seeing your name in like music related stuff. Yeah. And so to go kind of into this other world that I don't really talk about very much, uh, but love to talk. I would love to do a video game podcast, but I feel like that market is very oversaturated. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh but you know what 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 got you into gaming? Um I don't remember a time where I wasn't video gaming. So <laughs> like um maybe like as early as six I wasn't, but like right after that. So like in the early nineties I I think it was my dad bought us a Nintendo for Christmas. Because we my my I think I mentioned my dad was a Baptist pastor and we live super rural. So like the town that we lived on in wasn't even on the map because <laughs> it was so small. So we, we didn't have a whole lot to do. And my dad bought us this original NES when I was probably like six or seven. And, um, I got a handful of games. I got classic Mario brothers and then we got, uh, Ninja Turtles, uh, the Manhattan project and then the original metal gear, and a couple other games. So I've always had that around and I'm, I've moved so much in my life that I don't like getting rid of things because I hate change. So I, I just never got rid of a whole lot of stuff from my childhood. I've been lucky in that sense and, um, kind of just hoarded everything. So along the way I upgraded to super Nintendo, then slowly to 64. And I typically upgrade to a system a generation two after it's gone. So like I got Xbox when 360 was like brand new and I got an Xbox one couple, like maybe a year ago. So I, um, I, I've always kind of been into video games, but I'm more of a social video gamer. I like to do it with other people. So Xbox live has been nice for that because you do it at a distance. But, um, I've also loved garage sailing and, I, I'm super into like collecting DVDs, comic books, action figures, things like that. And I, I kind of have a running list of this is what I'm looking for when I go to a garage sale. And on that list would be video games. So whenever I'd run across something, even if I was, my stuff was all boxed up, I'd pick it up. And I've just slowly over time accumulated a decent collection. And um, <clears throat> my daughter turned four this last year. And I live to do stuff with her. Like it's just what life is about for me. And, um, like I'll, I'll show her music and just watching her respond to music. She's a huge me without you fan, which is amazing. Well, we all are. But, it's part of being human. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, I was like, I wonder if she'll like video games and she's a very strong willed child. So I try and show her controls and she'd get irritated and she wouldn't be able to complete the game, but she wouldn't let me help her either but she started growing into this person who was like interested in it. So my wife was kind enough to let me take over a guest room in our basement and turn it into a video game room. And, um, at school I got, um, one of, uh, their, their CRTVs and I set it up in the basement with a switch box. So I have all the different systems set up on separate systems. Now look up to that TV and like I'll hunt games specifically for her. So I tracked down little mermaid for Nintendo and I think I got, um, 
like some Sonic games for her because she she they're simple to play, and she would like that that type of gameplay. So a lot a lot of gaming for me, it, like revolves around her. I mean, I'm I'm super into things like shooters like PUBG on Xbox One, or I, I'm obsessed with Skyrim. But like, I'll play those things, but I'd rather be playing things with her. Me being sick all day, I had my uh, my six year old little girl downstairs with me a lot most good portion of the day and uh yeah we played uh well we actually just played Wii Sports uh for while she did I felt like garbage so that seemed like the worst game to play um but she really did the move (laughs) yeah yeah so I just I just literally laid there on the couch and just let her do her thing you know and uh and yeah that that is so much fun just see just kind of passing that on because I because it's funny so like when I was a little kid we didn't really have uh video games uh too much well, we had computer games but uh we didn't have like t- so you grew up baptist i grew up pentecostal uh so yeah. we they were a little bit more um this is what you can and can't have in your house you know <laughs> and mm-hmm. um and so vid- there was never really a place for video games so i didn't really get into gaming until i was probably um a little bit a little bit older uh probably ooh, 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 ooh trying to think now i can't in my brain's like probably when i was like 12 or 13 i got a super nintendo maybe it was younger, yeah. maybe it was younger than that I what, could be. what games are your go-to games for super nintendo uh well i was like okay so it, it was at the same time that i was really really into star wars okay so uh super star wars trilogy like super star wars super empire strikes back okay. uh super return of the jedi those are staples i can i can actually still beat those games in my sleep um i i love them even though they're they're Considered to be notoriously difficult, which I, I have not gotten deep into either the uh, either of the three. Yeah, so. they're they're uh, they're kind of hard. Don't play them on. Okay, don't play them on the medium difficulty. Play them on easy first, uh, because <laughs> they're they're nearly impossible if you play if you start off. Like I can beat them on Jedi mode now, which is like the hard mode. But like that was like years of practice. Uh, but that um, Super Mario RPG. Legend of the Seven Stars. That was one of the first, uh, one of the first RPGs I ever played, and I really fell in love with that genre. You know, you just needed somebody like somebody familiar, like Mario, mm-hmm. to introduce you to something like that. So I got really got really into RPGs uh, for a while due to that. So like games like games like Chrono Trigger and uh-huh. and um, Secret of Mana and like I've never played that, but I've heard a lot about that game. Secret of Mana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one's a little different. That one's actually more. Um, I would say it's more like noob friendly in the sense of like it's like more like Zelda, mm-hmm. but you have like stats and and stuff to and you level up and stuff like that. So it is still very much an RPG, but uh, but the gameplay is like more action focused. Um, what about you, Super Nintendo? What are your go tos? I like you could take every game except for Mortal Kombat two and Mario Kart, and I'd be happy. Like I. I remember getting Mortal Kombat, I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble because, like, this is such a violent game. Yeah. And then, like, memorize all the the fatalities and then throw the paper away type of thing, but... Right. Um, Mortal Kombat, like, I, I... Mortal Kombat 2 is one of my all-time favorite games, and then my sister and I, we love playing uh, Mario Kart, so we play that for hours. It's funny you say Mario Kart. I, I've 
been kind of my sleep my sleep cycles all messed up due to being sick so i sleep a lot during the day and stay up at night and um i've been playing mario kart on super nintendo and i i loved that game as a kid but playing it now um there's just some things about it that irritate me to death like uh like you know how like in the original mario kart the other racers didn't they didn't use the same weapons that you used so like um you know, you you could get you know the variety like the 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 slot machine of which item you were gonna get, but uh, the other characters all had their own. So like the princess could fire a, a a mushroom that would shrink you, and I think Toad had one, and Yoshi could throw an egg at you. Um, Bowser mm-hmm. threw fireballs, but Mario and Luigi are straight up cheaters because their <laughs> special move is a star. Yeah, so like yeah, you're playing true. you're playing on Rainbow Road on 150 cc, which is like the hardest difficulty in that game, and you're racing around a corner and you just got to get past Mario to get past that finish line, and he just bumps yeah. a star and hits <laughs> you and you're dead. Like it's just and you've lost the race, eighth place, it's over. Um, that oh, as an adult, as a kid, I apparently could handle things better than I can as an adult, but like I was like screaming at the TV. I, I think you're exactly right because um, I, I think we had so few games as kids that you're like, oh, I'm just going to deal with it and let's go do it again. But now, like, I'll be playing games with my daughter and I'll get frustrated. I'm like, oh, and like get mad. And then she'll pick up me and she'll do it too. I'm like, oh, I need to chill out because she's going to pick up some of these bad habits. I need to tone it down a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned a lot of Nintendo stuff. Did you ever? Did you ever go to the dark side? Go to Sega for anything? Um, you know what? I was late to the party on Sega. I my when we first moved out to Illinois after my parents separated, I spent a lot of time with this one uh, family friend, and um, he had Sega. So I picked up Sega like the late two thousand like ten, somewhere around there, and I I just started. I went through a sequence like over a couple years in like. 2009, 2010, 2011, where I was like, okay, this summer I'm going to get Sega and I'm going to look for Sega games. And next summer I'm going to get PlayStation 1. I'm going to get PlayStation games because I had friends who had that. And I remember playing Tony Hawk for hours and then eventually PlayStation 2. And like, I'm going to get Grand Theft Auto and I'm going to put on all the God cheats and just run around and kill people and wait for the cops to come. But so like <laughs> over, over time I just picked up each system that I didn't have. I stopped at PlayStation two. I, I got, eventually got a Wii and Wii's like probably the one system I don't play a whole lot, but I'm waiting to get certain games for my daughter. Cause I know she'll really like them. Yeah, but totally. I, I did pick up some of those other systems. I've been, I had a, I have a small group of friends who are into retro video games and like once every couple months we'll get together and do retro game day. And like, I never played altered beast before, but I had it and we sat down, played it and we beat it. And like, that was a blast, you know? So stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sega was always kind of, the, we, we were mainly Nintendo. I know I had a, let's see, I had a super Nintendo and then I, then we got a Nintendo 64 pretty shortly after that. Like I came a little late to the game on, Super Nintendo, but we got a 64 and I got, sh- it's so funny. I got Shadows of the Empire and <clears throat> for Christmas one year, I got a Nintendo 64, Star Fox 64, Super Mario 64, and Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. 
And um, I remember they only got me because I, I really wanted Goldeneye because that's what all my friends yeah. played and, and uh-huh. talked about incessantly. And uh, so I was like, I got to get this 007 game. My parents bought me the Star Wars game instead because they thought that the they thought Goldeneye was like a little too violent, which is kind of laughable now. <laughs> but like, yeah, um, but back then it was like, you know, hyper realistic graphics or whatever. And, um, you know, as it's like it can be. But then, like, have you played Shadows of the Empire? It like, does not hold up. Well, it doesn't hold up, but it, from a violence level, it's like just yeah. as bad, if not worse, than Goldeneye. Like you're still like, uh, you're still shooting stormtroopers and they're falling off cliffs and screaming as they fall to their deaths and stuff. Yeah. Like it's just, it was so funny that they're like, no, this game would be more more kid appropriate than this game. But in reality, I guess there was no blood in Shadows of the Empire. I guess that was the whole thing. But yeah, um, it's not the best game. Uh, I thought it was amazing when it came out. I, I really wanted that one. I really, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep talking. Oh, no, you're good. I, I really wanted that one because I was late to the party on that. So I think I got that like a year or two ago. And I, I was a huge Shadow of the Empire fan. I picked up the toys and everything. And I love the backstory for Dash Rendar and all that stuff. And I was super stoked to play that. And I was like, ah, this, this isn't good. But so I was a little bummed out about it. But it, it's probably one of those things where I just didn't have the nostalgia connection to keep me there. Yeah, I mean, the problem with going back to Nintendo 64 games now is that, like, they're at, like, 20 frames a second, uh, if that. Yeah. And they're not uh-huh. smooth at all. Um, and, like, because even Goldeneye, you know, you go back and play Goldeneye now, and you're like, how did I ever play this game without two without two analog sticks? Like, I don't... Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. I mean, like you don't really aim in Goldeneye. You like you point in. It's like playing Doom. You know, like you you just point in a general mm-hmm. direction and fire, and it just auto hits. You know, and uh, yeah. So a lot of those old shooters are really hard to really hard to play uh, nowadays. But yeah, I got a sixty-four, and then I after that I got really curious about old school gaming, and so I picked up a like with my birthday mo- money one year I went to a game store and bought a Nintendo. And uh, like Legend of Zelda and all, because I wanted to play like all the older games, and uh, yeah, so I got all of those. But uh, stupidly, when the Dreamcast came out, I think it was like year two thousand or maybe two thousand one, and I had no idea like what the market was, so I didn't know that the Dreamcast was on its way out. So I sold my Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and I, and I kept the N sixty four. But wow. I but I sold like all the games, all the stuff. And bought a Sega Dreamcast and Sonic Adventure, and it was like probably the dumbest thing I'd ever done. Um, besides, yeah, like those Dreamcasts are still kind of collectible because they're low run. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, the disc yeah. drive on that Dreamcast stopped working after like a year, so I had a, I ended up getting another Dreamcast. <laughs> but then all my buddies had a, had PS2s and would like make fun of me because like I was the cool kid on the block for like two weeks because I had a Dreamcast, yeah. and then the the PlayStation Two came out and it was all over like they're all playing twisted metal black and you know, all these, uh, all these awesome PS2 games. And I'm like, just basically sitting there in the dust with my Dreamcast. Like, well, can't believe I sold my Zelda games for this. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got lucky. Cause, um, I had the original, uh, NES, like the boxy one and yeah. it started to fail. And when we moved out here, I had like wanted to start playing my NES again. And I went to Walmart, and on clearance, they had the top loader NES, which I don't know if you're aware, but those are super hard to come by. Yeah, I've and I got think one, I yeah. 30 bucks for it. 
and it was box nerding, and uh, that's what I use now. So I mean, I can't I can't mod for the stupid uh, Zeo cartridge. Does but, yours um, have Does yours have uh, so when you're playing it, do you notice like lines <clears throat> on the screen that are like seem they're not they're not heavy lines, but they're like permanently etched in the background. I don't know if that's I, I've had lines, but I feel like they're more connection issues than they are the system itself because I I've upgraded cables and actually upgraded the TV and I haven't had any of that stuff. Okay, but I, I have noticed it once in a great while, but I typically don't pay too close attention to it. Gotcha. Yeah, mine had that pretty bad, but I bought mine uh, at one point. I had like three top loaders and I sold two of them for like a hundred bucks each. It was they became insanely collectible. Uh, yeah. After a while, but I always liked them just because you don't have the pin problems that you had with the old NES. Um, yeah. But yeah, no Zeo cartridge for me either. Um, because I just don't. I'm, I'm going to buy. A, I'm going to buy a regular one so I can mod it for the Zeo cartridge because I, I want to hear it. <laughs> just have an NES that's dedicated directly just for just to listen to a Zeo record. <laughs> it's worth it. it. Totally, totally. But um. I th- I'd say in recent years, I've moved away from the console. Um, I had kind of an incident a couple of years ago where I ended up having to sell most of my most of my stuff, uh, my physical games. Mm-hmm. Still kept all the systems, though, because in the back of my mind, I was like, well, maybe I could um, may- maybe maybe I can start collecting the games again for them. And at least I'll still have the hardware, you know, to play them on. But uh, as I've gotten older and had more kids, I have four kids. So um, I-, I realized pretty quickly that that was never going to happen so i just started buying like those ever drives uh for the systems where you can load mm-hmm. up all the games onto one cartridge and then you just have it but it's you're still playing it on the original hardware so it's like kind of the same like i've got a crt tv set up here uh specifically just for old gaming and actually this crt is going to yeah. stay with the house because it's a sony trinitron and it weighs like 250 <laughs> pounds so it's just going to stay here i think even even, I- even when i move out I have a newer one. It's like one of the last generation Sony ones they made and I, getting it in the house, I was an idiot and decided to do it barefoot, almost ripped my toenail off and like bleeding all the way downstairs. And my wife, like that was stupid. Was it worth it? It's like, yes, it was. <laughs> what is that? That's uh what are those? Those are called like the Wegas. I think I don't, it's... I don't know, but I mean, this one has internet connections and it's like barely been used because people don't use those type of TVs in 2009. Right. Right. So <laughs> That's it, awesome. I mean, it worked out for me, you know, I got it for free from work. So there you go. Can't argue with free. You just have to be able to move it. I, it's, it's funny. Cause you were saying you were going for like the digital, uh, I I'm, everyone makes fun of me, Brian specifically. Cause I'm so anachronistic. I am not a person who enjoys technology. Yeah. So I still buy CDs. I would prefer a band put out CD. I almost prefer it to vinyl. And I like I'm still buying DVDs. I got close to 2000 DVDs. Like I don't I don't want digital streaming, although we have it, you know, and then with the cartridges and it's the same thing, man, cartridges or disc. I'd rather have that. But yet there there's an efficiency piece that people really value. But for me, like the server's never going to go down. I've, I've got it. It's here, you know? Yeah, I think for me, it was just not wanting to deal with the heartbreak of my children breaking something. And yeah, then, and then me, and then me actually getting mad at them over something so trivial, um, yeah. I think was, was kind of the biggest. Cause like, I'm not going to sit there and yell at a six year old because she stepped on a controller and broke it or, or, or something like that. I mean, and th- okay, I will do that and I'll feel really bad about it. You know, like, 
Um, because it's like, yep. oh, you broke daddy's toys because daddy's not actually an adult. He's a he's a child trapped trapped in a man's body, you know. So <laughs> it's it's definitely hard uh, with that. Um, and even with CDs and stuff, I, I freak out about my physical because I'm I'm very much that way about music. Uh, I I always have to have mm-hmm. uh, physical, but at the same time, like I just recently set up a computer where I, all my music is now on that computer. And it's it's integrated into my stereo system, so I can pull Spotify up and stream music as well as play music on on MP3 and or WAV. I do a lot of WAV files, which requires way too much hard drive space. Yeah, but I don't like to compromise the sound by mixing it down to an MP3. So it's one of those like, which is funny because some of the records that I listen to sound like total garbage, like they were recorded badly. So like, it doesn't really matter. Like it's it's ridiculous to be such an audiophile about it. But um, it with me. With me and music, I, I would totally do that repository of all that digital, but I still have to have that hard copy. <laughs> like sure. it, it's just sheer stubbornness. But I like I think you probably get it. Like I, it's the collector. Like you and I were talking, you don't want to like every color vinyl, but you want one of those vinyls, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's, it's expensive, but the way I think so. Collecting is very expensive, and that's part of why I've stopped doing it too. Is is I just, you know, like his with like Nintendo collecting and stuff. I was really hardcore into Nintendo collecting for a long time, and I had, uh, but I I had to ask myself like, how far am I willing to go with this? Because if I want to complete the whole collection, I'm gonna need oh. a game. I'm gonna need a game like Little Samson, and that game's like thousands of dollars. Like, yeah, am I just gonna leave that out of the collection? But if I complete the whole collection besides that and like four other games then it's going to eat away at me. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. If, if I'm paying what I could pay for a down payment on a car, uh, you know, why, you know, it, it, at that point I have to start looking at my priorities and think yeah, to myself, I'm, I'm, like, why would I do that? I'm lucky when it comes to video games, because I'm not there, but with music and with like comic books, I am. And that's the problematic area. With video games, it's more like, yeah, I don't have final fantasy seven. So I want to go get that. You know, but I don't need all, everything Final Fantasy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you on that. I'm definitely more of a hoarder when it comes to music, for sure. Like, I wouldn't sell my CDs or sell my tapes. <clears throat> I've still got tapes and, um, yeah. And, and, you know, vinyl. I'm not as, I, it's weird. I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence as to where I'm going with vinyl because vinyl's great, but at the same time, it's also very expensive and very limited in the sense that you could just miss out. Like there was a Norma Jean vinyl that went on sale went one day while I was at work and I was like, all right, well I'll just get one as soon as I get off work here, you know? And then by the time I was off work, they were all gone. Was that polar um, similar or was that the next one? No, no, no. It was, uh, I have polar similar on vinyl, but I've got it. No, it was, um, Mer- however you pronounce the name of this record, Meridonia. Mer- Mer- yeah. Donical. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so that was that one. <laughs> the M one. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to have all the Norma Jean stuff on vinyl, but as of now, I've got, I think, Oh God, The Aftermath, which is a reissue, and I've got Polar, actually got the Polar Similar box set. My mother-in-law snagged that by some miracle. Like, yeah, she just, because it was gone. Whenever I, whenever I had ponied up enough cash to be able to buy it, um, it was already gone, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever, and then like two months later, she, I unwrapped it under the Christmas tree. And uh, was super stoked about that. And then I got obviously like their new one. But yeah, as far as those older records, 
those are just going to be so hard to track down. Yeah, I'm 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 really really only of the mind that like it has to be a special album for me to get on vinyl, and the only exceptions to that would be Zale or Me Without You. Like I want the total discography, and I'm pretty much done with Zale, and then I just need some of the obscure stuff for Me Without You, and I, and I'm always looking for that stuff, and those are the only ones I'll pay out the nose for. Like I there there's like I almost picked up Beloved uh, the Running EP today, and I was like, ah, I don't want to spend forty bucks on this. Like I've got it on CD, it's a great album, but I, I don't I don't need that on vinyl. And it's not even but a full I length, saw, yeah. Yeah, I saw Shia Lude, uh that was Blood Ill Tempered. You know, that was fifteen bucks. Why not? You know, like it's a freaking amazing album. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Shy Halud. I just I got Misanthropy Pure, which is my favorite record by them. Um, really? Yeah, I know, I know it's unpopular opinion, um, but uh, I I love that record so so much. Uh, I even uh, tried to just when I talked to Matt Fox on this podcast, I tried really hard to like not be like, dude, that's like the greatest record you guys ever did because it's objectively not. Um, but as far as my personal preferences for it, I always, I always love shy Halut. I love how melodic and intense they were, but I also, I'm a meathead. So I like stuff to be just a little bit heavier, a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more extreme. And that, that record just had, it just had so much more like grit and, and like piss and vinegar to it. Um, that the, yeah. other, that the other records, you know, didn't have as consistently as that one. I'm being really political here because I just I can't ever say <laughs> a, I can't ever say a bad thing about a Shy Halud record. So no, that's that's like almost simple. I, I saw them on the the tour cycle for that album, but it was with Shockwave and it was with uh, Wisdom and Chains. That was one of the best shows I've ever been to. That would have been cool to see Shockwave. I've never seen Shockwave live. I I, I was an idiot like. They they posted, hey, we're playing Erie, PA, and I'm like, Erie, like Lake Erie, that's got to be up north. So I bought tickets. And I'm like, oh crap, this is freaking Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> but it, it was worth it, man. It was totally worth it. Yeah, that would make. Did they come out with like banners and stuff? Yeah, they yeah. did the whole nine yards. It, it, <laughs> that's it was so cool. When like them, Seven Angels, a couple other bands, you're like, yeah, I saw that. That was great. Yeah, Shockwave's one of those bands that like they're they're a band I don't ever really talk about, but like my god, they're they're like in my top five and I don't even know why. Like like if you consider all like the technical music and all the stuff I listen to for the show, my when it comes to my actual preferences, a lot of my favorite bands are bands that I would not like talk nicely about on the show. I you, you gotta talk about them and you gotta do me without you. Well I already I did do me without you. Did you? I, I have to go look for gotta that. Gotta go back and find it. Yeah, it's uh Brian Patton from As the Story Grows was on that one as well, um, going through all their stuff. And he actually just interviewed Greg with Greg from Me Without You. Yeah, uh, I just listened to it. It's a very good interview. Yeah, I haven't gotten to hear it yet, but uh yeah, it's uh yeah, so a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on with Me Without You, but it's kind of depressing too because I know that like they're pretty much gonna be gone. Uh or they're planning on they're planning I, on I, hanging it up. I'm hoping that this weird hiatus is gonna Kind of give them the juice they need. Possibly. I mean, that's why they didn't say like straight up that they were just going to quit, but that they were going to cease active status. You know, if that's yeah. the politically correct way to say it. But yeah, they just, um, it's not a hard no. 
and I get it because like I've I've talked to a lot of bands that are like have either been on hi- hiatus forever or are now defunct, but end up being like you know if the if the situation was right we'd do it, you know yeah, and a lot I, of the I, time I mean, that leads to a record decades you know like they they've been going on for a while so I get it but. I'm selfish, man. Every two years, new me without you album that you can sit on for six months and it's just fresh and juicy. Yep, totally. Well, I think uh, I think this would be a good place for us to end for tonight. My wife's going to bed upstairs, so I probably need to help her with the baby and all that. But um, uh, Jesse, thanks so much, man, for taking the time out tonight. This was a really fun chat, and I, I like. I like doing some of these uh, more just conversational interviews. And um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. And, dude, I'm super stoked about this satire material that's coming out. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on. Like, uh, I don't know that I'm deserving of this, but uh, I think it was a blast. And I, I love that you, uh, th- that songs, like, uh, re- like resonated with you so much. So I'm looking forward to putting it out and just seeing how it hits people. And I... I'm just glad that it, it hit so hard with you. So definitely. Thanks definitely. for having me around. It's great. Yeah. Anytime.